The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All in Other Lives, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them, because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Today's guest, Genevieve Padalecki, is the creator of Now and Gen, the popular lifestyle blog and YouTube channel. Jen, who is well known for starring as Ruby on the CW hit Supernatural, recently reprised her role after a 10-year hiatus for the 15th and final season opposite real-life husband Jared. Jen and Jared are now based in Austin, Texas, where they are raising their three children along with 12 chickens, two dogs, a hedgehog, and two rabbits. The successfully growing Now and Gen brand is a byproduct of the popular lifestyle blog, which was created as a place for Jen and audiences alike to connect and inspire one another. Jen is no stranger to adventure and loves sharing her discoveries from New York Fashion Week to urban homesteading to hiking Machu Picchu. Now and Jen offers an intriguing mix of personal tips and advice, healthy recipes, product recommendations, and sustainability tips. I hope you enjoy. I'm so excited to see you. How are you doing? Where am I finding you? I'm in Austin Mm -hmm. and you're seeing me in my office slash library and it's finally a nice day because it's been storming in Austin. It's either super hot or super cold lately. So, And we know that you have a friend that you may or may not be sitting on in case anybody hears any panting. We have a guest. This is Arlo, our golden retriever. How old is Arlo? He's six. Oh, Yes, you might hear panting in the background. No, you said about the weather, but how were you guys with the storms? Were you affected in Austin? I don't know anyone who came out completely unscathed. We were actually okay in the grand scheme of things. A pipe in the attic burst and it was over the garage, thankfully, but it did seep down and it seeped into like the AV brains of the system. So we were without power for a hot minute. I think Jared and I that that night were like, bailing out gallons and gallons of water. No. I know it's so crazy. Okay, so what's the last lie you've told? The last lie? Oh God. I think I've told a couple of lies to get out of some workouts recently. Like I'm running late for a meeting. My husband lied. I shouldn't say this. But I like went along with it. But we were the our kids were asking us questions and they were we have a very open dialogue with the kids, almost too honest. I mean, I, I'm honest up to a point. We haven't had sex talks and stuff like that quite yet. I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old. They were talking about they have crushes. They each have their own crushes at school. And my husband and I are just like gobsmacked by the fact that our third grader is talking about the crushes and our first grader is talking about crushes they have. And so they start asking my husband about his first kiss. And he's like, I've never kissed anyone but your mother. Why would you say that? Don't tell him that. Right? Because he's probably saying you don't kiss anyone until you get married. Right? Yeah. Yes. That was how I interpreted it. And I think he was so like in shock that they, like he wasn't prepared for that But didn't he tell you the same thing? He probably hasn't kissed anyone but you. Yeah, right. Well, I would, well, (laughs) please. (laughs) 
that's what's so funny with kids too, is because what does a crush mean at that age? Like I asked my daughter, she had a crush on someone and I was like, what is it that you really like about him? And she's like, he's just really kind. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. She's, this girl's got some good values. Like she never said anything about like the way he looked or anything else. It was like, he's kind and he's really smart and he was good in class. Like we'd speak up a lot. I love that. Well, and I think the thing is with kids and what we really talk about is there's nature and nurture. And right now they're at this like sweet age where they're they're not quite influenced by their peers. The qualities that they see in other people, they don't even, it's not what we recognize. We were watching, this is so terrible, we let them watch The Water Boy <laughs> and the jokes in it are so offensive, We're, but we grew up with it. And it was like, they're being mean to the, they're beating up on the water boy and being mean to him. And I remember as a kid laughing alongside, like here's this kid who's weak and dumb. And, and my kids were like, that is so mean. He's such a nice guy. Why are they being mean to him? They weren't even influenced by that. He was a different or, you know, that he's an outsider. And, he, you know, kids are just so, they have their own beat and their own perception. And it's so interesting how as they get older, like those outside group mentality can really influence that. So keeping that as pure as possible. Right. My husband always says this thing that I think Bruce Springsteen said, but it says like, it is our job to protect a child's grace for as long as you can. And like what you're in is like the grace period, like before those things start to seep in, but like the Adam Sandler movies and all the things that we grew up on would not be made now. No, no. I was talking to another guest the other day. I'm like, yes, I lament certain things. Like, I think going to the far extreme of being so politically correct is kind of a shame sometimes because, listen, a lot of times you're going to lose the joke and like you have to have a sense of humor about things. But the good part of that is that I think in terms of the zeitgeist for young children, especially, it's like to show kindness, to show empathy, not to bully, to allow people and all of their differences to be celebrated, you know, and that's so different than the way we grew up. So in a way, it's like the education's on us. hundred percent. I was just shocked by, first of all, the offensiveness, because I thought this was like so normal growing up. And then like, then turn like how they handled it. And I, I sat there like, shoot, should I fast forward through this? But I was really proud of how they just really embraced the water boy. Yeah. Like, movies are so different now. We showed them Stand By Me the other night. My husband didn't see until he was 10. And like some of the things, you know, the subject matter is so different. Like those kids were like out cruising by themselves. They found a dead body. They had a gun. (laughs) All of the things were, I didn't really remember it. And I was looking at him like, I'm pretty sure this is really inappropriate. They're their parents. They're so irresponsible. Oh my God. But then we were also like, look, this kid's parents literally burnt his ear off. So if you think we're tough. Right. What occasion do you think it's okay to lie? If at all. You know, we do lie about one thing and it's to protect our kids. Like we have a pool in the backyard. And so my daughter, our four-year-old is the most independent and doesn't give flying F, you know, she's like, I'll show you, I'm going to go outside, even though you told me not to go outside and could care less about the consequences. And so Jared tells her that there's a dinosaur outside named Mr. Cheetah, because that's what our oldest had named it when he was little, to prevent her from going outside, because to instill that fear of God of <laughs> a dinosaur that will come and get her if she goes outside with talking, without talking to an adult. Is it is it invisible? It's invisible. Can your son still see it? Or are they in on the joke? I don't know. I think my oldest is in on it. I think my middle one still believes in Mr. Cheetah. Yeah, my nine-year-old is kind of like, eh. 
But yeah, I mean, it's so tough because like my husband is like real big on not lying. My mom lied to me all the time. Like she would say the most absurd things ever. She told me not to stick my arm out the car door as a kid or out the window when we were driving as a kid. Because someone was going to drive by and cut off your arm. You told me a relative got her arm messed oh, up. Oh, or okay. there was a, yes, like took it a step further. She she did. And like, I remember in middle school, I think I came home and asked what like a BJ was. And she's like, that's something that dogs do. So like, for the longest time, people would talk about this. And I was like, Oh, my God, that's something dogs do? Why are you talking? Like, I just, I don't know, I was a little slow for a while. Um, but she would tell us she it would sounds take- like your mom's lies really served you well. Do you know what I mean? Because you're probably, probably not giving out BJs and you're not putting your hand outside of the window. She kept you safe, Jen, like in a lot of ways. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay, what have you had enough of? I've had enough of the polarizing that's going on. Like like what you were saying about the jokes. Like I I don't enjoy being super, super PC. I enjoy being very respectful and embracing everybody and embracing religions and genders and and color. Like I am all for equality and equity all around I don't enjoy though erasing history Mm -hmm. and I don't enjoy I I want to learn from everybody and sometimes learning takes like joking and like I laugh at really inappropriate things it's my way of coping and it's not being mean but like September 11th I was there I was in Greenwich Village watching the towers fall and I laughed and it wasn't like I'm laughing at death. I was just laughing because I like, I couldn't deal with the emotion of it. And I feel like sometimes we need to find the humor in all of this to find our way. And so I do find it frustrating of how polarizing we are right now about everything. And I'm ready to circle back, Mm -hmm. you circle back in a healthy, like woke way. What do you think? Like, you know, I know so much has been lost during this time, but what are the things that you feel that you've gained over the last year? I've gained a lot more independence, funny enough. I built a business over this last year and I I lost a lot of fear. I think I was really fear-driven for a long time and I was afraid to be honest and afraid to be myself, I think. I felt sometimes like even, you know, on social media, if I'd be on it and someone would say this one thing, it would like send me, even though we're having like a great conversation or other people are chiming in with great points or being nice or whatever. I I don't know what it was. And I finally feel like, like, I just want to do my thing and move forward and be as good as I can be in that moment and moving on. And I think it's that perfectionism I've really learned to let go of. What do you think the the sort of fear was about? Or can you identify what that was founded in? I think for me, perfectionism. Mm -hmm. I grew up a firstborn, a star athlete, just wanting to get the best grades. I got into the school that I wanted to. I, I was the best player. I, you know, I was go, 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 go. That isn't attainable for a long time. Like you can't. Sustainable. Yeah. It's not sustainable. Exactly. So I just, I really feel like, I don't know. I turned 40 this year and I think it's like half of my life is behind me, which is a weird feeling and half is in front. And it's like, what do I want to do with the next 40 years of my life? And I don't want to live in a state of needing to be a certain way or pretending I'm a certain way because that's just not the case. So yeah. What do you think, aside from age, do you think that there's something that you can identify where you are just like, okay, enough? Where you 
felt that that was keeping you from achieving things that you wanted to or from being your truest self? Can you identify any time where you recognize that happening, your sort of tendency towards perfectionism? Yeah, I mean, there. I'm really big into therapy and I'm big into self-reflection and digesting what's going on and mulling over it and then moving forward. I think for me, it was the perfectionism was really preventing me from moving forward. And I just built this company called Town. It's all about being sustainable, but the first step in that is being sustainable for yourself. And I felt like such a fraud because I was spread so thin and I was trying to be so perfect with all of these things. And the reality is I'm not 100% sustainable. I'm trying to do the best that I can. And if I only focus on being perfect, I'm never going to get anywhere. So it's letting go of being called out. I think I was just so afraid that people would look at me and say, I'm an imposter and I'm a fraud. And I had to like really build myself up and go like, you are who you are. Whatever people say on the outside has nothing to do with who I am. So I had to like really figure that out. As a perfectionist, obviously with the podcast, we like to talk about the notion of having it all. And again, that idea of making things look a certain way across the board was having it all something that you bought into. And if so, what did it look like to you? I, I don't think I ever thought you could completely have it all. I owe it a lot to a friend of mine who I met when I was on my first TV show called Wildfire. I had never been on a show before and I was thrown into being a lead of a show and, and I just thought I was the bee's knees and <laughs> could do it all. And, and that time, you know, no boyfriend, no kids, no, just I had a big job. And I had this friend who sat me down and he was just really real. He was the first AD on the show and his name was Jason Roberts and he was just such a gift in my life at that point and just a great friend. He explained life to me because he was probably 10 plus years older and had wisdom that I didn't have. And he said, you have all these things in the air. You have all these balls that you're juggling. You have you have your job, you have your mortgage you or your rent. You have kids. If you have kids, you have these bills, you have friendships and engagements and all these things that you're juggling. And, and you break it down into like small things, a dog that you're taking care of or, you know, your children, whatever it is. And you're throwing these balls all in the air and there's always something that's going down. There's always something that's going up and they trade and they all trade at different times. And so if you can look at it in that way of you're just constantly, there's always something that's going really well and always something that's, that's not going as well. And that kind of goes hand in hand with having it all. I thought for me, having it all as an adult, a grown up married with kids meant that I could balance the mom life and the work life and have my cake and eat it too. And I. I find that's really challenging. That's so weird. Why? <laughs> I, find, I find it so rewarding all the time. I don't find it challenging at all. Yeah, sure. Well, then you can give, you can do tell. I'll, I'll let you know offline. Yeah. Cause that for me is like, it's the worst and the, the mom guilt that exists. And I don't think that husbands or dads, ex and not to negate or downplay their feelings, but I just, I feel a physical sensation of like guilt wash over me when I'm like working and my children are home. I don't know if you feel like this, but it's just like this insane guilt. And they're like, you're on your phone again. And I want to be like, yes, I'm trying to work. I'm trying to build something. And I think it's positive for them to see me working truthfully, because I think it's a healthy thing for them to see. But it's certainly challenging when 
I have to complete this thing, but then my kids are coming home from school because it's still within business hours. And it's like how to work that through that as I still have not figured that component out yet. Of course. And compound that with, I don't, I don't know what goes on in Texas. Have you guys been able to go to school the whole time? Yeah. We opted not to for the first couple of months. They, mm-hmm. they went back in February, but I can't imagine in California, it was super, super strict. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, is like you're saying, first of all, Jason Roberts is right, you know, and I I read this thing one time that was basically likening what you said, but just identifying that some of those balls are made of glass and some are rubber and will bounce and like the littler things, right? Like they can fall between the cracks and like sometimes they're going to go and they're going to bounce and it's going to be okay. It's like trying to figure out which ones are the glass ones that you can't let drop. And I think that's such a good reminder too, of just like, there's no way there's no octopusing it, like to keep everything bouncing at the same time. So you just have to recognize like which ones have to be maintained and which ones you can kind of like let go for a second. And then I wonder if you feel this way too. It's like, sometimes it's like, you're trying to do these two things simultaneously. So you said you're trying to build and you have your new business and you have town and I want to hear all about it. But then it's almost like being a mom sometimes feels at odds, like building these, this life for these other people sometimes feels at odds with building a life for yourself. If you pull out and say, I want more than just the family component. And I'm not minimizing that for anyone who's focusing just on family because that's incredibly hard too. Sure. But it's like, you then have this thing where it's like, you're not really killing it at either. You're like feeling badly about the fact that I'm sure you're totally present and doing an amazing job. But then I always say with my kids on the phone, it's like, they think I'm literally on Roblox. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I've got to text this person. You want a play date with this person? Every single person is on Venmo now, which is great, but it's like every lesson has to be paid for individually. It's not like we're like set up on a monthly thing. So it's like, I have to remember every single person that like we've had like a tutoring. So they'll see me on the phone and then they're like, well, I want to play a game. And I'm like, this is not a game. (laughs) You know what I mean? I know. It's so challenging. I feel you so hard on that. It's, and then it's hard because I, we have like a no device thing. I have a no device rule during the week, like no devices at all. And so then I feel like a total hypocrite when I'm sitting there like this, not paying attention to them. And I'm like, I'm setting the worst example. (laughs) So it's just, it's a tough one. Did you have an idea growing up of like, you mentioned being a star athlete, but did you have an idea of the type of life you wanted to design for yourself? How did you go from sports to acting? Tell me a little bit about that. So those are my two things that I I grew up doing were theater and soccer. And I always knew I wanted to end up at NYU and I went there playing soccer and I, I, that probably helped me solidify my chances of getting into NYU. And so then I did theater there and it was, I kind of had to make a choice at that time because the theater program was so rigid with their schedules that I couldn't really do both. So I ended up giving up soccer, which was hard. I've always been just an A-type and I love to work and work hard and whatever I do. And I don't think when I was young, having kids at a young, having children in a family wasn't really even something on my radar. My mom was super young when she had us. She was 20 when she had me. And 
she was done having kids by the time she was 29. She had four kids. Wow. And I think for me, she was so lost in being a mom that I went the opposite where I was like, I'm not going that route. I want to work. I'm going to be independent. I'm not going to have kids. I'm not, I don't want to get married. So it was so crazy to have it all so fast with my husband. I met, we met, instantly fell in love, got married basically a year later, had a child a year later. And it's like, I can't get enough of family life. I, I don't think I saw this at all. I, I, it wasn't something I was like, this is how I want. I can't wait to have a bunch of kids. And I just think it sort of fell into place the way it was supposed to, funny enough. Do you think that maybe like with your mom, did you see the sides of herself or her own life that she felt she had to sacrifice in having a family versus like, it doesn't seem like she was like, oh, four kids by 29. This is so rewarding. Yeah. yeah. That is she was like, hard. this is my personal dream. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do. I think that I watched her and she gave so much to us and sacrificed so much. And she really, really loved my dad. They're no longer married anymore. And I, I think for me, I didn't see that as a strength now having my own kids. Like, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, thank God she invested so much in us and also was so hard. She was very, she wasn't a super come sit on my lap and I'm going to nurture the heck out of you. Like she was tough on us. And I'm so grateful for all of that. But I, you know, as a teenager, I was like, you're so cold, but she would always say like, I'm not your friend. I'm your mom. Oh, and I, that's so triggers that. me. My mom used to say that too. Oh. There was a girl. I remember Talia, Sarah, she used to have the most beautiful French braids. And I would say, mom, like, can you French braid my hair one day? And she was like, I'm your mother, not your friend. And I was like, I still don't understand what this has to do with French braids. Other than I know she didn't know how to do them. So maybe she was just throwing me off her scent all the time. I'm your mother, not your friend. There must have been a parenting book going around then. Guess what? She is my mother, not my friend. (laughs) That's like my mom. I don't disagree. Like, I don't want to be on the same I think it you know the same level of like where they are friends and can leave this house whenever they want kind of thing this is not like a hotel and this is not just like your world that you're living in I definitely I don't want to say like don't have you can't have a crush you're you're in third grade or you can't do that or I want to know what they're thinking and then help to redirect it Right. And you want them to feel open enough to talk to you. But isn't it weird? So like your mom had four kids at 29. You said you just turned 40. And like, I I don't know about you, but I always thought like there was a period or a place that you would get to where you're like, okay, I I think as a kid, you think your parents have a lot figured out, right? And now in their position, you're like, oh, they didn't know anything. So the only thing (laughs) they could say to me was, I'm your parent, not your friend. Because inside, we're probably freaking out in the same way that we are. But if we like offer empathy, I don't think that the narrative was like it is now. I don't think women were in a different place where they were probably sort of relegated a little bit more to home life. I think a lot of them found it like deeply unsatisfying, which is why it propelled people like you and I who are trying to like have it all, be it all, do it all, and then feeling shitty too. So it's like, (laughs) I don't know what the answer is. But I feel like we're also more open with making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, I 
screw up all the time in front of my kids and I I'm open about it. Like, I don't know how you feel, but I'll say to my son, I am so sorry that I handled that situation the way I handled it. I'm really tired. It's been a really tough week for me. I handled it wrong, incorrectly. And I want to apologize for the way I was punished or whatever it was, you know? And whereas my mom probably would have had the confidence to be like, it move on kind of thing. Right. And there's no, who knows what's, what's right or wrong. Only time will tell. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you talked earlier about sort of, especially you were kind of saying like in a public forum, but with a tendency towards perfectionism, do you think that especially I would imagine in the public eye and as an actress, that's even more magnified. Did you find that really hard to deal with your own tendencies towards perfectionism when you are being told you have to kind of look a certain way, act a certain way? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, and I self-analyze everything too. So I'm like, okay, like I know I need to look or be a certain, you know, fit and maintain that. And which when you're 25 and you don't have any responsibilities, it's one thing when you're 40 years old and you have three kids and your metabolism isn't the same. And I'm not going to diet in front of my children. Like I just don't think that sets a good precedent either. So it's, I'm really careful about it. And I've struggled with an eating disorder in high school myself. And it's actually something I've never really talked about publicly, but I, I did. And so I'm hyper, hyper aware of getting stuck in those routines. Mm -hmm. And so as a mom, I have to be so careful that I, I don't want to talk about food. I don't want to make things an issue. I don't want my daughter to ever feel like she has to look a certain way or beauty is something that they have to worry about. It's so tough, especially now with social media. Like I'm so strict. Like I don't even allow them to play games where there are other kids that can join in. Cause I'm like, I just don't want, I want to be a little too controlling right now, but I'm, you know, there's going to come a time where one of their friends is already on TikTok, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't allow any of that stuff, but I'm also not going to say you can't play with so-and-so because they, I have to teach them like you're going to be in situations and you have to be okay with who you are and saying no to things that maybe aren't going to be right. But you know, it's, it's tough to navigate. And I'm very aware of like that, like my perfectionism tendencies and to not sort of bring that into the dinner, t- you know, dining room every right. night family. I think that's one of the best things, you know, about having kids sometimes is it's a mirror up to yourself of like, all of your own tendencies and habits, you know, and you really have to see those things looking back at you. And it's a great opportunity to reassess, evaluate and learn too, because you see how it's like we, in a way, probably have a lot more concern for how it would affect our kids than ourselves, you know, and like, you've been dealing with that kind of monkey on your back for a long time. But you mentioned social media. I know you launched a YouTube channel, and you have that sort of part of your life. How do you navigate not getting sort of negatively influenced by looking through social media or feeling the kind of grass is greener or all the sort of things that social media can elicit for us, but still be in a position where you have to create content and you're doing so with your family and in front of your kids. What's your sort of navigation plan with that? Yeah, well, that's been really challenging, to be honest. I have a rule now where I try not to shoot stuff at my house 
my oldest doesn't like it at all. So I don't really incorporate anything with my oldest unless he's like, hey, will you put this on there? Or do you, you know, or I'll ask him. I'm sure I'll get there with my middle as he gets a little bit older because it's tough. For me, it's work in progress <laughs> and just really having boundaries with them. But when I do post with with the kids, I, I usually try and make it like a relatable or teachable or in that regard. There's so many funny things, and I don't know if you feel like this, but there's so many funny things that they do. And I want to be like, oh my gosh, I want everyone to laugh about this. But then I feel like it's at the butt or they're the, at the expense of, you know, them. So I don't post those funny like nuggets that are what makes my kids so like amazing and fun and they say the, the greatest things. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's honestly, it, and it changes all the time. I feel like the rules with social media change all the time. I used to read the doom and gloom and comments. I'll kind of like glance at them now just so that I can engage a bit because I do, you know, like town is a, a community that we've created and that's really important to me to really build up that community and stuff. But I don't find it really healthy to like troll through and the whole point of it for me is to build people up sometimes I'll even go on and just people I don't I'll just write something nice because I'm like you know what this person looks amazing and be like I'm just gonna write something nice about them tell us about town when did you start that so I started town we officially launched in February but it's been in the works for quite a while for a couple of years but really really focused on it this past for almost a year now. And town stands for take only what we need. It was heavily influenced by my upbringing. I moved from the Bay Area to Whitefish, Montana when I was about 13 years old. And this is like, you know, before the internet existed and you could like see what other places looked like. And so I just didn't know what it was gonna be like. And I had such a negative imagination and negative thoughts about it. And my parents told me we were going on vacation. So that didn't really help. What, whole- your mom lied again? That was another lie. And I think to her Wait, credit- Wait, she literally was like, we're going on vacation, but pack all of your belongings. Yeah, yeah surprise. That's a big lie. I know. I, and I, it wasn't as like, I'm making this a lot worse than it was. Like we did go visit and I was- You visited, it, you just never came back. Yeah, I mean, in, in her defense, it was only going to be a year. So in her mind, I think she was also trying to be like, it's going to be a year. It's just a vacation kind of thing. Right. And it turned into a little bit longer than that. But, you know, I was just like, where are we going? What is this place? Like, you know, I was born a California girl, which is like a certain stigma and then thrown into this place that I was like, where the heck is Montana? But it was the best thing I've ever, ever done in my life. Uh, I'm so glad that we did go. It just birthed so much independence in me. I was such a homebody and being able to move to the middle of Glacier Park and use the outdoors as sort of my jungle gym. I mean, I, I shouldn't say this, but like at 14 years old, I was hitchhiking up the mountain to go snowboarding. And would not would, be okay today. Oh my God. Not only would it be not okay today, it wasn't okay then. My mom still has no idea. So if you're listening, mom, I'm really sorry. But but it's a little bit of payback for some of those lies that mom told. For those lies, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that. so I just, I loved being outside and that was like really how I coped and how I dealt with just anything, hardships, anxieties, whatever. And then we ended up moving to Idaho and 
further, you know, outdoorsism. My school that I went to, the outdoors was part of the curriculum. So we would have to go in these campouts and build snow caves or ski up, you know, a mount, hike up a mountain on your skis. And then like a couple of days later, you'd ski back down and go back home. And so it really bred this like sense of independence and this respect for nature. And I, I wanted to figure out a way to bring that into suburban life, so to speak. And I was on a trip with my kids up in uh, British Columbia and we were just on this great trip and I really wanted to be like, all right, we're in nature and we're just going to, we're going to go see some grizzly bears. We're going to do some fishing. And, and when we went there, a lot of the bears were emaciated and the couple of the salmon runs went extinct due to overfishing. And it wasn't the resort's fault. It wasn't because of like average fishermen. It was a whole bigger problem, but I wanted to figure out a way to tackle that. And for me, I wanted to create a community and I, I was so frustrated by figuring out how to be better because it's either you get rid of everything and you're trashless, which I, you know, you have kids, like it's kind of impossible. And I don't want to sit here and say to everyone who has children, like, oh yeah, you can completely go trash free. It's so easy. Cause that's just, we need, we live in a world of convenience and that's just not always the case to be able to do that. Or you, I was looking online and it's like doom and gloom or you read books and it's like doom and gloom and basically there's nothing that we can do. Or somebody sends you this whole thing. I don't know if anyone sent this to you from NPR. Basically, it's like uh, Mm -hmm. the problem with recycling and it's called it's someone else's problem. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen the video, but I'm sure. But you see these things and you're just paralyzed. You know what I mean? Because you're just like, it feels insurmountable. And what I love that you're doing too, it's like, you're not professing to be perfect. You're not saying that you're going to subsist on like a single glass bottle and never create any excess waste. But whole sentiment of like, everyone doing what they can imperfectly is better than one person doing it perfectly, right? Which doesn't exist anyways. Yeah, there's that great quote by Anne-Marie Bonneau, who's a zero waste chef. And I think her quote is, we, I don't want to have a few people doing doing zero waste perfectly. I'd rather have a million people doing it imperfectly. What sustainability looks like for you is different than it looks like for me. And that's one thing that's been so challenging this last year is that it's so polarizing. And it's like either you're vegan or you're not sustainable. And that's just so, there's so many ways to be sustainable. And, you know, while it's going to take major policies to change climate change to actually make a big impact. If enough of us get on board by living more sustainably and understanding what that means and finding actionable ways to be sustainable without the added pressures of perfectionism, which is what we're trying to do on town, then maybe then we'll understand how to implement these changes and force companies to make bigger, better choices based of off of our how we consume. And so, you know, with town, that's really what we're we're building is highlighting people and companies that are doing things in the sustainable space and helping and providing a platform to help people shop more sustainably, highlighting others and, and just really just chatting with each other and learning from each other and what other people do and and uplifting one another. So, and just honestly taking the piss out of it too, because it's a lot of information and we need to have fun. It totally is a lot of information. What would you say are like one or two just sort of easy lifestyle changes or things that you've done within your own home that you feel are pretty low lift that everyone could do to be more sustainable? Well, I mean, those ones are pretty like basic, like when you leave the room, make sure all your lights are out or use, you know, a water bottle that is a reusable water bottle. Like this one? 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I do think across the board, people really are making their best efforts to be more conscious, but that's on an individual and on a personal level. But what are we doing with all of these companies and these corporations who are really like the worst offenders? Because I can't feel like I've got to take this out on top of everything else. You know what I mean? By myself, we need big organizational corporate change. And how do we do that? That's what seems so overwhelming. And it is overwhelming. And I think with us, what we're hoping is to provide those other resources where you can shop that you are at least putting your dollar into a company that is using better materials, they're being more ethical with their labor and just overall more sustainable. And I think supporting those companies will also inform the bigger companies of why people aren't supporting them. So it's like resources, places to shop, things to buy that are less offensive, right? In terms of yeah. in terms of their footprint. Shop locally if you can. And are you enjoying doing like are you enjoying this process like transitioning from focusing on acting to doing something like this? It's also exercising new muscles, right? That you haven't used for a minute. What's been the biggest challenge of that? I think for me, I didn't there's so much I don't know. I mean, I I read and read and read and I just scratch the surface. There's so much. So I, I'm constantly learning more and then having to unlearn because then that there's new information. And so it's definitely been eye-opening and exciting because there are, you know, so many new inventions and ways in which people are being smarter and better. And so it's, it, it's definitely exercising new muscles for sure. What's what like what has come more easily to you versus what's been a bigger challenge? I guess the challenging part has been that perfectionism and letting it go because I am not an expert. And so I was really afraid that everyone would tune out because who am I to say what you, how you should shop or what to buy? The easier part for me was getting hungry and curious and being able to talk to people and just, I think, having conversations and and learning from others. I really enjoy that because we're also different and not being afraid to take advice from others and, and learn. That to me has been like the most fun. I was going to ask if moving to Austin was a big lifestyle change for you, but it sounds like you grew up in a way that nature was your backyard. And obviously that was like highly intertwined with your education and being outdoors, but going from moving to LA, like what was the impetus from moving to LA to Austin? So Jared and I were living in Studio City and then he at the time was commuting from Vancouver to Studio City. And then we got pregnant with our first son and just realized how do we get around? Like this is going to be challenging. I can't, we can't just walk down the street. Like I can't just walk out of my house and walk down the street. You know, he had always wanted to come and move to Austin. That was like his goal in life was like, someday I'm going to make it and I'm going to move to Austin. And so we came out here every year we'd come out with his family. We'd have like a big party. We, I just, I really wanted to find a reason not to like it because I wanted to move closer to my family and move to Idaho. And I just could not find a reason not to love Austin. You don't have to compromise anything about your life here. You get your music, you get your food, you get your kids, you get your booze, you get your animals. Like you can have it all. Like Mm -hmm. Austin legitimately has it all. So you can have it all in Austin. 
<laughs> I will say, except the traffic now is a little iffy, but other than that, oh, yeah. It's in LA. It's so great. <laughs> exactly. I don't know when you were last here, but oh my God, in the initial stages of COVID, you would get on the freeway and it was like nothing you've seen before. You know, you could get anywhere so quickly. And that's been the weird sort of thing as life is kind of slowly opening up. It's just getting back to how terrible traffic is. Gosh, I wonder how life's going to be after all of this. Like if it will... If everyone is going to work from home, is that going to affect traffic? I mean, I don't know if you've seen that David Attenborough. It's all about like the climate and um, nature during the... Yeah, I did. It's so interesting to think. And then how do we... Do we just go back to normal? Or are we going to have some hybrid version? I think there is no normal anymore, right? In a way, I think that's what we all have the opportunity to decide right now. You know, and it's interesting that you're talking about sustainability. Like, I want to ask you about sustaining yourself, because you mentioned that earlier. But also, that's what this time has called for, for all of us, is to to kind of identify what are the things that are essential for us? What do we want to move forward with and to be intentional and to be purposeful and how we want to make changes from what we've learned. As far as being sustainable yourself, you're trying to do this thing. You're a mother to three, you're a wife. There's a lot going on. What do you do personally to make sure that you're sort of pouring from maybe not a full, but like a reasonably full cup? I really try and feel like at the end of the day, I want to make sure, do I feel full of... Do I feel exhausted or do I feel like, gosh, that was a great day? And what were the things that made it a good or a bad day? And for me, often it's finding some time to meditate, um, which I'm not great at and I wish I was better at. I've honestly like can't say enough great things about headspace. And that doesn't mean like I sit and I zen out. It means often that I'm in my closet with a glass of wine, maybe getting, you know, dressed or not, but just sitting like finding a space that I feel good about and doing something selfish for me so that, or it means going out to dinner with a girlfriend and just unloading. I think it's really important to find those quiet times. I I feel so selfish sometimes saying like, I need an hour to myself. I'm just going to go read. I'm going to go sit alone and I'm going to read. And it's so strange to think that I have to set this time aside, but I need those little moments. I just need some alone time throughout the day or or a good unwind with a friend or something like that. Those are important to me to get those a few times a week. Right. I think after we get our petition to make our kids stop bothering us, I think I'd also <laughs> like to figure out a way to rebrand selfish. Just yeah. the idea that it has a negative connotation. But I don't think selfish has to be a negative thing. It's like to put yourself first you're saying that for an hour, like a few times a week, that's not absurd. Like that's not no. too much to ask. And I think that there's something, especially for women, that we really need to reconsider how we perceive tending to ourselves. I, I totally agree. I feel like somehow being busy equates success. And I think that the quiet time and the quietness and just being, you know, whatever that is to that you need as a person is just as valuable, if not more. Because if I don't do that, if I don't do the things that serve me, I'd be a terrible mother. I'd be a terrible businesswoman. I mean, I'd be terrible everything else. So yeah, those that those things should 
be prioritized and come first, to be honest. When you take stock at the end of the day, like does that kind of bleed over into the way that you look at everything holistically? Obviously you're building this new business. Do you have really set markers for achievements that you want to have? Or are you more fluid? Are you able to take victories? What's your style? Um, that's a great question. So far, because we're so new, I think we are just excited to launch off the ground. And now for us, the victories are, you know, we're building our team out. Once we start, you know, we have a couple ideas on how to build out and create some sustainable products. I think for me, while I am goal oriented, I really, for this project, because it is a sustainable project and because I feel like I have to really live by my words. I feel like I like to celebrate it holistically. I celebrated the other day because we got to 19,000 followers, you know, and I was like, this is so big. I can't believe we're here. Or an article that came out um, that we posted on Friday about languishing. And I was like, this is awesome. This was so helpful for me. It was in the New York Times. And I saw something- that. It was helpful for me. I was like, there it is, languishing. and. Languishing is what you said. It's sort of the feeling that we've all been feeling for the last year, right? We're not like super motivated and you're a little bit like, honestly, probably burnout and spent and everybody's been kind of like in fatigue survival mode. And so we're languishing sounds so much more elegant than over it. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Or like limbo or something. It's just, it does. It sounds like we're in the languish. Sounds very fancy mm-hmm. <laughs> and nice. It, it sounds like a nicer place to be in than it actually is, I think. Yeah, exactly. No, but I thought that that was so helpful. And I think that that's great. Just identifying those sort of like small victories that we have to be reminded to take because really the small victories are the big victories. There's no sustainable big feeling. It's just about being reminded every day that you're making progress and that things are moving in the direction that you want them to. A hundred percent. Looking at everything now, what would the idea of having it all look like to you today? For me, it would mean, you know, I really want to get to a place where town has expanded and it's really up and running so that I'm not as crazy with the balance. And for the most part, I'm pretty good about it. But by the time my kids are home from school, I would like to be done with work and I would love to spend some more time with my husband. That for me would be having it all where I could act and do town and have a, have even a better balance with my, my family. And I, and I do, I I feel really lucky right now. Cause quite honestly, like I am, if you had asked me two years ago, I would say, Oh, to have my husband home and working in Austin, which has happened. So I have to say we're pretty close. Right. And that's amazing. And also I do want to mention because you are acting and you, as far as Walker, correct? So yeah. it what, what's the experience like? Of, obviously, you met your husband through acting, but what is it like 10 years down the road? Is it like hard to turn it off, like in terms of like being home versus, you know, the separation between kind of like work and personal? Is yeah. that fun working with him again? Or what's that experience like? Um, I have to be honest, I really love working with my husband, even if we're having like a dark moment and we're arguing about whatever we have this ability to let it go in the moment when we're working together. And I really, really learn a lot from him. Not only is he a fantastic actor, 
he also is an amazing producer because now he's a producer of the show, the executive producer, and he can see things on such a macro and micro level. I'm just in awe. So acting opposite him is super fun. And then, you know, commuting to work and chewing on things together, it just gets me off. Like I love, I love it. I love learning from him. So it is super fun. It's challenging for sure, because there are times where I'll get bent up about a choice that I made and like, why is it like this? And why did they air it like this? And which isn't, it's neither here nor there, you know? So I feel like there, there probably needs to be a better line in the sand of like, okay, I'm not going to talk, we're not going to talk about this now when we're at home, but. Right. But that's hard because obviously it's like when that person's your confidant and best friend anyways, it's so much easier to be your true (laughs) self and like acknowledge that like, oh, I wish I had done this differently or versus like you could have kind of left it at the office, so to speak, you know, if if you weren't bringing it home with you. But that's also really exciting too, because it's in a marriage, especially it's like you want to have those things where we're evolving and there's an evolution for you and your partner so that you kind of like you continue to learn from each other and you continue to grow. Like seeing both of you take on new roles is really, I'm sure, like a great benefit. Like you said, gets you off. It does. It's awesome. It's fairly... It's fun to keep being curious with your partner and always bettering each other. Even when we're having a moment, I still feel like we'll hit the grind of just working it out and chatting it out. It's really special to be able to do that. I I do feel lucky in that way that we can work really well together, even under any circumstance. So That's amazing. Okay, so for anyone who wants to follow along at town, where can they find you? Yeah, so my handle is just Jen Padalecki, and it's G-E-N, because my name is Genevieve. And uh, you can follow along mainly on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. And then Town, which is my sustainable baby, and I'm really proud and excited, is T-O-W-W-N, and it stands for Take Only What We Need, and that's on Instagram for now. I love Take Only What We Need. That's I need to take that into my own future. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time today. And I appreciate you telling everybody about what you've been up to. And thank you so much. Thank you. Having It All in Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Vigas. You can follow me on Instagram at Sarah underscore Riff and the show at Having It All Podcast. See you next week.